Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. We somehow don't engage our... Um... You can take your mask off. Oh, yeah, thank you. We somehow don't engage our vitality when we stay in our seats. Um, but that's okay. Sometimes it's good to just, just focus on the words that are being sung. Uh, thank you so much, Karen, for introing us and for speaking into the reality of where we're at, the reality of where you're at from that. Um, but I also appreciate that, especially that last song. I always think when we sing worship, we can do it in, in I, at least three different ways. That's three, right? That's, in at least three different ways. Um, but it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. That can be a confident, I'm in a good place, I'm, I'm feeling faith-filled, things are going well. It is well with my soul. Or that can be a, God, I need this to be true this morning. I need you badly. I, I'm reaching out to you. A prayer, a prayer of crying, a prayer of needing. That, that's, that's an equally valid way to sing that song. Or it can just be proclaiming the truth of God no matter where you are in that spectrum. It is well with my soul. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. And I just want to say, because we, we often sing lyrics and we're maybe not in that place, but it's okay to sing them from all of those places and others because we're putting confidence and hope or crying out to the promises of God. So, so thanks, Suzanne. Thanks, Suzanne. Um, so, Ali and I are both up here this morning. Oh, yes. Hi, Ali. Hi, Paul. And for the last few series, we're in the middle of this Holy Habit series. And for the last few series, we've done this discussion thing at the end of it. And part of that is because it's been really helpful. Well, it's easy to do a series and think you've accomplished something nice and maybe learn nothing through it or learn some things and then just pass on and move on to the next thing. And we really, I have done that in the past for sure. And we really want to try not to do that. We really want to not just jump into the next without trying to pull out some of the nuggets from the last. So... As we finished the last few series, Ali and I have talked, then we've brought this talk in front of you guys. Now, these are partly planned. We've talked through bits of them, but they're also partly not. So bear with us, and we're going to watch time because it would be very easy for us to talk and just enjoy our company and forget about you guys and, and go on forever. So if we're getting near 11.30, go, <clears throat> boring. Um, but we want to talk through some of, some of the lessons, some of the learning, some of the realities from the Holy <coughs> Habit series. Um, we, as you know, we've been doing this series because we are in the middle of a pandemic. We are in the middle of lockdown, and we're going back very soon into more. And God is, whether he's caused it or whether he's allowed it, is actually irrelevant to us. God is doing something in the world today. And he is shaking and he is giving us an opportunity to relook, to reset our thinking. And we constantly need that. We have an opportunity at birthdays. We have an opportunity at New Year's. We have an opportunity at any significant moments in our lives. But a pandemic makes us rethink and refocus everything. So looking at these incredible holy habits that these disciples lived in the first number of years of the church evaluating our priorities against them because we want to be people that are seeing life but also seeing life added to the church daily. What an opportunity this moment is. And I was struck actually totally outside of the church of, of the power of what this pandemic has brought to people's lives. 
A friend of mine who's a tradesman um, has been very successful for about 20 years, but he's worked nonstop, made a great living, provided tons of stuff for his kids. But pandemic came, March came. He had to shut down for three months, and he spent three months with his family. And coming out of it, he realized, I've provided a lot for my kids, but my older ones I hardly know because I've given them stuff, but I haven't spent with them. So he has used this pandemic to reset his thinking. And he's actually going, he's, he's, he's making decisions to change his lifestyle and is cutting back to three days a week so that he can get to know and reclaim time with his kids. Talk about a serious shift, a serious reset. And that challenged me because sometimes in many ways I need that serious reset but I'd take the slightly easier, you know, tiny move as opposed to saying, it, in him it wasn't, okay, God, it was okay work, okay family, but me saying, okay, God, I need a reset here. And I don't just need a small reset, I need a significant world-shifting reset. So I hope this series has been part of us all thinking through these things. So. Yeah, yeah that, that's something we <clears throat> certainly talked about right from the very beginning. Has crisis provided an opportunity uh, here? And I suppose, uh, by way of introduction as well, I, I guess one of the other things I, don't, I, I would want to highlight is the fact that um, that this is this. We talk about holy habits, but what we're not talking about is creating some sort of system of religion. Um, that uh, we often talk about that that our faith is is, is about relationship, not about religion. Uh, and yet, when you look at the pattern in the Old Testament, the whole idea of faith and action are are kind of so interlinked. Uh, James uh, 2 says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Uh, and there's, sort of, there's this sort of sense. And in my mind, I always think of, well, faith will produce action. Uh, if my faith is right, it will produce action. If my faith is, if I've got the, if I've got the facts right. Uh, but yet, uh, through this series, uh, I've been really reflecting on the idea of actually my action can influence my faith, can shape my thinking. That whole idea of that habits, uh, especially missional habits, they may shape my outlook and my thinking by the patterns that I'm living by. What do you think of that? Well, yeah, I, I was, I'm sure Colin, where's Colin sitting? There he is. You're reading through the same Bible plan as me, and we're in James right now, right? I don't want to call you out just in case you're not there, but we're, we're in James right now. I fell behind and I've caught up. So, um, and that, so as Ali mentioned that earlier to me, that's, James talks about this amazing, the book of James, he says, faith without deeds is like looking in a mirror and walking away and forgetting what you look like. A mirror is useless without that. But then he says this in um, James chapter 2, verse 7. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by, if not accompanied by action, is dead. He doesn't even say less effective or less fruitful or uh, he doesn't use a euphemism. It is dead. And it's not that the action produces that faith, but faith puts that or action puts that framework around your faith that refuels it, that then fuels action. And that those are such powerful words by James. 
So, uh, so the, 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 those, are, those are, I feel like, some introductory thoughts, but uh, what we did was we put a, a survey out to, to folk, and many of you responded, and that was very helpful. I, I would like to just highlight a few findings from that survey uh, in terms of the holy habits. So there, if we could look at the first one. Uh, oh, that is really cool how Josh has done that. Hmm? Sorry, that we're between the slide. We are technical here. That's very impressive. So I can, you see the way I can do this now? Isn't that great? <laughs> so um, I feel like Barabas now. Um, so, <laughs> um, right, I should be looking this way. Yeah, that works, that works. <laughs> this um, is all for you people at home. <laughs> Well rehearsed. So, um, which habits, the question was, which habits do you practice as a consistent and regular part of your life? Uh, and in that, in that first slide there, you can see uh, there's a number of things that, 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 that kind of come out. Uh, and it might, I don't know if you can see the numbers very clearly in the church. Hopefully you can at home. Uh, but a, a couple of things to point out is the most commonly practiced ones are not overly surprising in terms of what one might expect from the feedback uh, of being prayer and fellowship and worship, that we, that we come together and we do these things and prayer is a regular part of our lives. Uh, but low down, lower down in the, in, the, in the sort of priority list, if you like, or, the, or, the, or the, those that are practiced regularly, are eating together and generosity. Now, there may be some good reasons for that, um, but uh, we're not going to dig too far and speculate too far. But very interestingly, just at the at the very bottom here, uh, you can see this, this one at the bottom, that making disciples, 13% said that that's, that's part of my regular practice. So we're going to have a wee chat about that in a moment or two. But if we go to the next slide. Without the numbers, though, I think it's profound how you see just the graph is so much smaller. And just the color, that bold blue is so much smaller there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the next one then is which habits do you find most difficult to put reg uh, to to regularly to put into practice. Uh, and there was, there was a lot of honesty, by the way, which was really helpful. Uh, but it's interesting to notice that the habits that people most often find difficult to put into practice are, again, at the bottom here, just there, uh, <laughs> making more disciples. Um, uh, over 75% said that they found that uh, a, a challenge, let's say. And there were some comments around that, which we'll come back to in a minute or two. But also Bible study. More than 50% of folk talked about, um, about Bible study being a challenge. So, for example, the, the comments around that centered around... Uh, it's, it's very hard to summarize the comments, but there were two areas. One was kind of apathy. I'm challenged by my apathy, uh, or I'm challenged by my, I, I really should do this more, but I, but I don't. And secondly, I'm not, I'm not actually sure where to start, some people would say. Yeah, as I was saying to Ali, though, my question that came out of this, though, is do we make Bible study more complicated than it is? Do we think we need to have a, um, a theology degree, which, I mean, if we just want to talk to Karen, we can get all that background later. Um, or or is, it, is it a much simpler task than we give it credit for because the Holy Spirit's in it? But Karen talked about Sola Scriptura, and I've just been introduced to this thanks to Andy in the last couple years. And with a bit of the NIV intro to the book, or whatever study Bible intro to the book, and then just sitting and reading through a passage especially with a couple friends, listening to the package, pa package, passage and simply saying, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And without fail, 
the theologians and, and the people in the room that I think sometimes are, 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 would be the least theologically inclined are inspired by true, powerful nuggets just because we sit together with God's word. Can I just check? Yeah. You said sola scriptura. Sola scriptura. Um, I just want to yeah, so clarify, for those that might not understand that, I of course do. Google it. No. Okay. <laughs> So sola, there's, many, there's several ways to do, but sola scriptura is basically just meditating over scripture in its simplest form. Reading a short piece of scripture several times, sometimes in a few different uh, translations, and just saying, God, what is it you want to point out to me from this today? And he does always, but the beauty of sitting with other people is he's pointing other things out to other people and then getting that context from them there's so much richness. And it's not about no, necessarily about knowing what it was in Greek or what the people at the time were sitting with. God breathes today. But I want to say one other thing on that because I think the other thing, in the West, we love, we're individuals. I mean, our songs are, not these ones this morning, but can become my, me, this. You know, Jesus' prayer was our Father. Lead us not or, or uh, deliver us accountability for me has been such an important part of studying the Bible. I now, I was saying this to Ali, for the first 1,500 years of your life, my life, (laughs) the Bible in existence, people almost never read it on their own because they didn't have it. It was in the synagogues or it was in the places of study and it was read to them and they probably memorized it and and they, they... went, um, they dug into it in community. Right now, I read personally almost nothing on my own. I'm doing Bible plans. Now, I'm sitting on my own, but I'm reading through Bible plans with a friend in um, Dublin and a couple friends here, and then discussing them in the wee um, comments below. There's community in that, so you're learning what God's saying to them as, as well as you, but there's also accountability, which is, for me, is so important. So that's there's so much in that. There's a few mm. simple things that can make that lighter, I suppose, is, yeah. is all I would say. Yeah. And that whole community, we'll, we'll talk about more about that maybe in a minute or two. But um, the other thing that uh, noticed in the, that, that people find hard to put into practice is eating together. Uh, and and uh, that might reflect, uh, as we talked about it that, that, that day, we looked at the eating together. COVID doesn't exactly help. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but it might be more than that. And the whole Although idea Andy of, and Karen have a gazebo, gazebo outside, yep, yep. so go to their place. Yep, uh, uh, just one family at a time. Just one family at a time. Yeah, yes. Set up, Rudis. Um, so, uh, so eating together was well the other thing. But some of the comments that people made about making disciples, coming back to that that challenging one at the bottom there. Uh, somebody said, "I don't feel it's my place to tell uh, people what they should do." Uh, somebody else said, I, and "More than one person said, I don't feel that I'm an evangelist." Uh, other person said, I, I feel quite shy. Uh, I don't know what to do when it comes to these sort of situations. Or um, I don't often get the opportunity. So the number of reasons around the kind of challenge about what does it mean to make disciples. Um, how do you reflect on that, Paul? Well, I... I... <laughs> I'm trying to point for the... <laughs> trying to point accurately there. I think this is so helpful because... First of all, if that is you, if it, which it is me and you and all of us, we are totally not alone in this. I am a great, or I'm a rubbish disciple maker, but everyone else is a fantastic disciple maker. I think 
the, the beauty of doing a survey like this is we see where we're, we're all at together. But the other thing I would say is it's not just difficult to make disciples, and we need to, I need to hear this again and again, it's actually impossible to make disciples. It is no matter how eloquent or pre-prepared or the, the memorization of the Bible or the right you know, four points in a row to make or the setup or the lighting or the music, the reality is it is impossible to make disciples, followers of Jesus in your own power. And we know this, but we need to hear that because we take it on ourselves instead of putting it back and, and, and sitting it firmly in God's hands. The Apostle Paul tells us, as we know, that the message of Jesus is foolishness to the Gentiles, to the Jews, and a stumbling block to the Gentiles. It is foolishness. It is a stumbling block. People will not hear it without the reality and the power of God. So it's not just difficult. It's impossible. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, but Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And we know that, but we either get caught up in our own skill, oh man, I have this great, I have this new idea that's going to be so good, or this story that just happened to me from some person, that's going to connect with that person. Or the other side, I stutter, I, I trip over my words, I can't think of things quick enough. We to I, sorry, no, we, I get caught up in my insecurities or my arrogance. And I need to recognize again and again that making disciples of Jesus is impossible. But the Holy Spirit is moving in and around us and shaking this world now and always. And he can and will do it. I said to Ali, and this is a very perfect analogy, golf has come to my mind over the last couple of weeks of how it's a good analogy for, for all of these holy habits, but especially making disciples. Now, Andy knows, I golfed once with Andy on the west coast of Ireland. Remember St. Patrick's that time? Andy's a good, pretty good golfer. I started with 15 balls in my bag on this Lynx course that was either like short grass or this, you know, the width of about these two lines. And by about hole six, I was just walking around the course with Andy because <laughs> I had no balls left. That's how good I am, folks. Sign me up. But listen to this. The old school, and maybe it's a bad rule of golf, is three rules. Keep your eye on the ball. What's rule number two? Keep your eye on the ball. What's rule number three? Keep your eye on the ball. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the rule anymore. But what do I do when I golf? I'm lining up. I, I'm a lefty golfer. And I'm looking at the whack. No, I'm not even looking at the, the layup shot. I'm looking at the hole, and man, I'm going to smack this right to the hole, because I'm, I'm probably doing a happy Gilmore. Wah! And then it goes that way. Or I'm looking at the lake that's right there. Or when I golfed with Andy, I'm looking at this grass that's about this height, and I'm tightening up, and I'm stressed, and I'm nervous, and so tap. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. All golf, well, all, in my simplistic, ungolfed mind, Josh is laughing at me. It's about positioning, knowing where you're doing, knowing what you're doing, and then keeping your eye on the ball. The golf ball is no power. That's the problem of this analogy. 
But no matter how hard I whack the ball, it is not going anywhere near I want it to, where I want it to go unless the power of God. This life is not going to be changed. That lake is not going to move. Those grass is always going to be there unless there's the power of God in it to, to create moments, to open people's hearts, to open people's lives. And a, a very recent announcement, just this week actually, I just joined the gym. And I actually don't like the gym. I'd rather go for a run. But I recognize that as a pastor, it's very easy for me to get in Christian circles, Christian bubbles. So I recognize I need to reconnect with my community. So I just joined the gym. And I've gone a few times. But the last time I went, 5.30 in the morning, get up. And I was like, God, I'm going to the gym. And I did this because I want to reconnect with my community. But I, wa I, want, I need something to happen there. I need you to give me the fragrance of life or the, or, or the sun. I need you to shine your hope through me, your life through me. I need you to op open up opportunities because I'm nervous. I don't know what to talk to people. I don't want to start the wrong conversation. I don't, whatever. And so as I woke up as I was before and then as I was driving in, I'm praying this, God, I'm going, but I need you in it. I need to see your stuff that's going on. And this was like the third or fourth time. Immediately walking in the door, I started a conversation with this one guy who I've had great conversations with. But this conversation went like right to a hard spot and right to life. And I was just blown away by the door immediately God opened to me. And then there was another connect, couple connections I made. And I, we don't have time to go into this. Nope. <laughs> but one of them was riddled. You know where you walk, you walk past someone and you sort of recognize them and they sort of recognize you. And so you, you both go past. And then you don't know how to start the conversation again. And anyway, long story short, after a whole bunch of these awkward moments, I was just... God was challenging me to start this. And anyway, I started two other conversations with people reconnecting after a long time. But the other few times I went, I didn't have my eye on the ball. I went, I positioned myself where I knew God wanted me to go, but I didn't have my eye on what he was doing. And long story short, keep your eye on the ball, keep your eye on the ball, keep your eye on the ball. Your job is only to position yourself but as we keep our eye on the ball, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Who are you moving in? I'll still slice into the grass if it's a golf ball. <laughs> um, but he is opening doors and hearts and minds. And that's been a real challenge for me over the last couple of so, days. So therefore, there's, there's an element of intimacy that's required, which, which integrates all of the habits in many respects. They, they feed that. But there's also an element of, of, of positioning, which also come out of many of the habits when we're putting ourselves out there. Uh, and so to that person, uh, and by the way, I, I, I feel your pain, uh, that, that whole idea of, of I, I, ah, I, I, I'm not a proclaimer as an evangelist. I, I, I can't do that. That's not my thing. Um, and, and I hear these stories of up front, somebody was in a plane with somebody and they had, the next you knew they, they were, they, they'd repented. And, and I could never do that. And, and it makes me feel, oh, either I am guilty because I don't speak up or I just I'm rubbish at it. Um, I think I would want to say that we're not all evangelists. Now, that could be misheard, but we are all called to be evangelistic in our orientation. But we're not all evangelists. So I, 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 I won't go into the detail of it, but in, in, in Colossians 4, you can see a passage where Paul says two things. He says, pray for me that I will be able to do this, that I'll be able to speak out. And then he says for everybody else, and he says... But be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be uh, full of grace, seasoned with salt, 
So you may have an answer to everyone. He's basically saying, look, position yourselves, what Paul was saying, on intimacy. But it's not that you're going to proclaim. It's that just, but, but, but you need to be as in, as in standing in front of a bunch of people or having this polished message. But, but living differently and positioning ourselves out there will cause conversations to happen. And we need to be ready to, to, to be able to speak into that. Yeah. But I was going to say, but also, the people you probably think of evangelists, like Ali and I, you probably don't think of, we're just average guys, we have all the same, I have all the same anxieties you have when it comes to this stuff. And the people you probably think of as evangelists, I remember recently saying to people, you're, you're a guy that prays for someone, or you're a girl that evangelizes. And they're like, no, I'm not. Do people think of me like that? We all have those same anxieties. Although there definitely are people that have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Absolutely. Um, but another analogy that's popped in my head as we were thinking about this is early Apple users. Um, I'm an Apple user now, but early Apple users were the most obnoxious people on the planet. Who's in anyone early Apple users here? Because they had a product that was better than yours, or at least they thought it was. It looked better than yours. It, you know, it worked perfectly. It had all the... And they spent their whole life telling you how much better their product. Have you seen my new iPhone? Or are you still in the Samsung? Ha, ha, ha. I was back in the Samsung in those days. Um, but they weren't evangelists, but they loved the product they had, so they were influencing the world. They were spending time on the product they had. They, weren't, they didn't go to an Apple seminar or you know, a sales strategy but they were in love with the product. And I suppose that's where I, again, going back to that golf analogy, we cannot live out this thing and I'm learning this. I'm an activist, so I wanna do the stuff. I wanna think about having that conversation with a person. I wanna plan for that. But that stuff is useless. And I, I'm learning this so strongly right now unless we're keeping our eye on the ball, like an Apple evangelist, unless we're using the product, getting to know it and recognizing how powerful it is in our lives. And so totally we're not all evangelists. I'm not a natural evangelist, although I can talk, you guys have heard me talk way too much, but I'm not a natural evangelist. <laughs> but when we take the time to sit with the product, which our product produced everything, mm -hmm. Inevitably, we grow to the point that it comes up that I want to tell you about my product. And that may be awkward, but that's okay because it's actually impossible. God's going to move in that. But as I'm excited about, and, and this verse challenges me, or the way God met me challenges me, or, or whatever. Um, we're not all evangelists, but when we're into God, it will overflow. And I and we need to get more into God, I suppose, is what's really grabbing me. I, I, I can't disagree with that at all. But, but here, here's a challenge um, that if you feel that you're that sort of person that, oh, I can't do this, why not go on an adventure uh, and, and just say, look, I'm going to practice these habits, not because of some tick box religion type rule keeping, but so that I can develop my intimacy uh, with the Father. And I'm going to actively be praying 
And I'm going to be living a life that is, that is going to be questionable, as we've talked about before, that will cause others uh, to, 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 to potentially ask the question. But um, I, I, we could talk so much more about this, but I would suggest, if you haven't already done this, journal your own um, faith journey. It allows you to process and think through that for yourself uh, and be ready then. Uh, to give an answer. And let's see what happens with that as we all do that. I'm going to move things on because we really do. We've run out of time almost. But um, I have a question for you, uh, Paul. We've, we've 10 habits in this series. What about 8 out of 10? 80%, not bad. Uh, well, is it okay, do you think, to, um, to, 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 to really go for 8 of them and say, those two are not my thing, for example? Yeah, we talked about this. And maybe this seems like a guilt thing. But it, we said, you know, it's, it would be hard to go through the list. Um, prayer, Bible study, fellowship, breaking, um, breaking of bread, generosity, sharing, worship, events. It'd be hard to go, mm, that one's not necessary. Or that one's bad. You know, that, that one works, but it's, it, you know, it can work without that one. It's, it's really hard to eliminate any of these. And I suppose back to what we've been saying, hopefully, is they all, they all also feed each other. Mm. Um, but an outward working life, and I would go to, the, to the, the lives of the disciples. They lived all of these things because they saw, not because they, they sat down, okay, let's get a list of 10 things that Paul and Ali are going to talk about 2,000 years because these are going to be things to pass on. They saw Jesus living this stuff out. Hmm. So it was, it, they were the habits that had been ingrained in them over, over and more over three years. And then filled with the Holy Spirit, they, they couldn't help but live them out. But it just, it, it, all of them just came out of watching a lifestyle of habits. So it, it'd be hard to separate any of them. Okay. So what, uh, we, we asked people what has stood out for you or what challenges you. I'm going to, um, as we bring things to a conclusion, which of the habits has stood out for you? Or which, which in the series, what, has anything has stood out for you as a challenge? <laughs> Quickly. These things always go faster then. Uh, two things. And, and I laughed with Ali. Neither of them are from anything Ali and I have said. <laughs> Call is greater than text. A lifestyle of generosity. Calling someone takes more energy than texting them. You might have to enter into that conversation you didn't want to have, or it will take more time. Da, da, da. That lifestyle of generosity that is exhibited in something like call is greater than text. That was a, a real challenge and has been a real acted on challenge for me. But also what Suzanne said last week, that uh, line about attending worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. And I do, we're out of time, but on your way to the gym, Paul, am I attending to the presence of God? Because it's useless without it. On your way to work, boiling the kettle, as Suzanne said. Are we taking those spaces so that those moments become life-giving and rich, not just Paul's skills or Paul's weaknesses? Or, um, so those two things, generosity and attending to the presence of God, have really shaken my thinking over the last while. Mm. What about you? I, I guess uh, briefly to say... Um, I've been challenged by the fact that it strikes me the difference of the model of the New Testament church and our model, or, or the way that it appears they practiced. Um, 
So, so they, they, they didn't seem to come together to learn. They came together to do. They came together to have fellowship. They came together and they devoted themselves to fellowship. Uh, someone someone uh, in a communication recently to me used the term church light. And that really struck me. And when you buy a product from Microsoft, like a Microsoft Office light or, or, or Photoshop light, it is, it is a cheaper product and it, but but, but it, it, it demands less. It's not doesn't have the riches, but you can do a few wee things. It strikes me that the culture we live in today is very comfortable with the idea of church light. Only a kind of bit of a commitment to because I've got so many other things to do. Uh, to me, this was not church light. This was integrated, meaningful fellowship. Uh, and that really challenges me. Uh, the, the, the sort of sense like next week we're not going to be here because we're going to be you know, we can't be here. Mm. Uh, that's quite suitable for me. Uh, you know, but, but that, that's, that, I'm not suggesting that, that's, that we can't do church in another way. But, but the whole ethos of being devoted to one another uh, really challenged me. And I think, I, I think church light sits much more comfortably in a 21st century than it would have done uh, back then. And we all, I loved your first, um, your, the, the picture you set it all up with. We naturally drift toward that. Mm-hmm. Middle-aged men included drift towards whatever the lighter, easier, distracted version is. Yeah, yeah. And so there's been a lot of stuff, as we've talked about, that's been rumbling around our heads. The more important question, and I pray that you guys talk about it on the phone or by text, is what is, and, and you mentioned some of these in the survey, what is the, the thing that stuck with you, that's grabbed you? And my prayer for you and me is, please, God, do not let us let that go. Because you are resetting and we need to be reset in this moment. Jesus said in John fifteen five, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But he didn't stop there. He said, apart from me, you can do Nothing. And then the writer of the Hebrews said, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Whack. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary, so that you will not drift, so that you will not and lose heart. Let me pray. Amen. Actually, let's all stand up because we're about to worship. God, so... Holy Spirit, so many words here of Ali's and mine and fling any that were useless out of our minds. Holy Spirit, this is useless without your power. We want to be people filled with holy habits, encouraging, loving one another and seeing our world transformed by you. Yeah. 
Help us. Challenge us. Hold that encouragement and that challenge in our hearts and our minds. And may we journey this new road forward with each other. In Jesus' holy and awesome name, amen. Amen. Stay standing. Suzanne is going to lead us in worship one more time. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, keep these thoughts and challenges racing through our heads for your glory.